1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 20. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she bared a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth good, tarry until thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me the petition which I asked of him. Therefore... Also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And I thought about what to title a message. Every good message has a good title, and this one doesn't, so it's not a good message, all right? But I thought about all the different titles we could title this, and I thought about, you know, Samuel had to overcome a lot of negative peer pressure, so I thought about titling it, overcoming, helping your kids to overcome peer pressure. Um, but then I thought about what Pastor Hank Thompson used to preach about peer pressure. I said, I better not do that. Just He might come down here and smack me tonight. So I won't do that. And I, you know, I thought about all the different things we could do. You know, it, but here's what, the, here's what the message is about. Simply this. Helping your kids to overcome negative influences in life. And raising kids a lot like putting, them in, right, like, a lot like putting food in a pressure cooker. You got to have the right pressure. You got to have the right heat, but you leave it in there too long, you're going to ruin that meat. And there's a lot of people I've seen try to keep their kids from the world. We don't want my kids to be around the world. We're going to shelter them. We're never going to expose them to anything. And they never, they never get around that heat and that pressure and they're never developed into something useful. And yet I've seen some people push them out and let them go and you know, hey, whatever happens, happens, and that doesn't work either. Right. It takes the right time. It takes the right preparation. you gotta get them, You got to get them exposed to that and yet say, in the midst of all of this, I can't succumb to the negative pressure of the world. And so tonight we're going to talk about how to help your kids overcome the pressures that they're going to face in life. Father, we love you. ask that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. We want you to move. We want you to help us. I ask that you'd help your people. Fathers, I look out in this crowd. There's a lot of good people. A lot of moms and dads, Father, who want nothing more than to see their kids do right and serve God. And Father, I pray that you'd help us. There's so many young people in this room. And Father, we don't want the world and the devil and the flesh to snatch one of them away. Father, we want every one of these kids in 15 or 20 years to be sitting, not just in this church, but in churches around the world, Father. Uh, we don't want one of them leaving here and headed to the world. We don't want Satan to have his way with any of them. We know that 
Father, this world has a lot of pressure. We'd like to steer them away from everything that's true and everything that's right and everything that's wholesome and holy. I pray that you'd put a hedge of protection upon these families, upon these fathers, upon these mothers. It might help them, Father, to raise these kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Thank you for all the focus over the last couple weeks on a godly home. We ask that you'd help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're just going to look at a couple principles in this passage that will help us to raise our kids to overcome the negativity, the wickedness, the filth of everyday life living in this world. The reality is 25 and 30 years ago you could shelter your kids to a degree from most of the filth of this world. In this day and age, if they go with you to the store, if they ride with you in a car to church, it doesn't matter what happens, they are going to be exposed to the filth of this world. They're going to be exposed to a lot of negativity. They're going to be exposed. Look, if you talk about the news and politics, they're exposed to a lot of negativity. All right? There's not a whole lot of positive to talk about in any of it. Unless all you fill your, your home with is scripture and the Bible and and holy singing, they're going to experience a lot of negative pressure. And we want these kids to be able to overcome these things. How is it that we help them to overcome these things? I think there's a lot of things we see in this passage. We'll try to pull from it and say, God, help us uh, uh, to, to raise our kids in a way that would glorify and honor you. And let me say this, too. If, you have, if you're a parent here tonight and you have a kid that, that's not in church, this is not in any way to demean or put you down, okay? Kids make their own choices, and I understand that, all right? But what we're not going to do is we're not going to stop preaching the whole truth of the gospel so that we don't offend or hurt you. We're trying to help the rest of these kids here. We're trying to help the rest of these dads, the rest of these moms to say, listen, there are Bible principles we can follow that will help us out, and Hannah in this, in this passage is probably, uh, outside of Mary, to me, the most amazing mother in all of Scripture. If you, as a mother, could do or put yourself in Hannah's shoes and what she went through here, th- this is a very difficult situation. I'm going to give my child up. I don't know. The Bible says he was young all right, he had just been weaned. All right, let's, let's say somewhere around four or five years old. I don't know. But he was young. And she brings him and gives him to the man of God and leaves and says, you raise him. Now, let me just say this. Don't try to drop your kid off here and say you raise him. <laughs> Neither Pastor nor I has taken him. Okay, not working here. All right, maybe Pastor Robbie. He probably wouldn't even notice another one hanging around. All right. (laughs) The rest of us are like, no, not happening. But here's Hannah and she says, hang on. I made a vow to God and now I've got to drop my kid off to a man who's raised wicked hellions and let him raise him. God, I don't know if I can do this. This is this is a tough moment. As a mom, to turn your kid over to anybody is tough. I mean, just to drop them off and say, I made a commitment and I made a vow. 
I'm going to give them to you. But especially knowing that this guy's sons are around and this guy's sons are not good guys. And now you're going to raise my son for me? As a mother, I can't imagine the burden here. And yet Hannah, as a mother, said, hang on just a second. The most important thing that I can do here is to follow through on my promise to God. And let me tell you something. If you make a promise to God with your kids, follow through on that. But I think, number one, the, the most important thing that we see, or one of the things we see here in this passage, is uh, that, Han that Hannah was a praying mother. Look at verse 12. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. We see her praying. Verse 12. Look at verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, my horn is exalted. And let me just say this, moms, in a home, a mother has the greatest responsibility. And here's why. You say, well, the fathers are, are to be the, the head of that home. And I agree. And the fathers are to be the ones that are supposed to lead and head that home. But let me tell you something that just that I've observed and that we observe in scriptures. You see a lot of terrible dads raise good kids. Here's what we don't find. We don't find bitter, angry mothers ever raising a good child. Because so much time is spent, a mother is the one who spends the time with that child and, and develops the character and the nature and the spirit of that child. And I've watched a whole bunch of mothers within this church over my 40 years here who have had negative spirits and angry spirits and bitter spirits. And you know what they don't raise? Godly children. It doesn't happen. And you say, Pastor Ben, you know, you're talking about me. I, I hope there's nobody in here. All right. Say, man, my mother is a bitter woman. <laughs> okay, maybe there's an exception. Okay. <laughs> Here's my point. You look in scripture. Saul had a godly son, Jonathan. How does that happen? Right? Well, you know what you don't find in scripture? You don't find Jezebel raising godly sons. There were a lot of wicked kings who had godly sons. But what you don't find is a bitter, angry woman with a sour spirit raising good children. Moms, let me tell you something right now. You better have the right spirit within your home and you better ask God, God, help me. Pray for those kids. Hannah, before, those ki before that kid was ever born, was praying for him. After, listen, do you think Hannah stopped praying for him once she turned him over to Eli? Don't you think those prayers increased? Now, not, not a lot is said about Hannah after she gives him to Eli. But I guarantee you, as a mother, that mother prayed for that child. She said, God, the influences around him, those young men are wicked young men, and I don't want my Samuel to be influenced by those young men. God, help him. Mothers, you better pray for your kids. You better watch your own spirit because your spirit sets the tone for that house. And you will make or break your child by your spirit within that home. 
Now, if you don't, if you say, well, I don't know what my spirit's like, find some people that don't like you and ask them, do I have a terrible spirit? Like, don't go find your friends. Your friends are gonna, not going to tell you the truth. Why? You won't be their friend anymore. You have a bad spirit. All right? And they got a bad spirit too. They don't recognize you got a bad one. I mean, good night. Go find somebody that isn't necessarily your friend who will be honest with you and say, tell me what my spirit's like. Do I need to work on my spirit? Am I going to negatively impact my kids due to my spirit? If so, moms, listen, you want to raise kids that love the Lord. You better check your spirit. You better pray for them every day. God, help these kids. God, the influences around my kids... I look at my son and my daughter and we try to shelter them to a large degree. But I look at when we walk down the street, when we go into a grocery store, the billboards, the things that they're influenced to, whether on bus routes or anywhere we go. I'm saying, God, put a protection around my kids. Help them not to give in to the flesh. Help them to... to, to put their flesh into subjection from the Holy Spirit's help. But mothers, I'm coming back to you for just a second because you are the ones. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. A kid hears a father pray and that means something. But a mother's prayers have turned many a kid's heart to God. And there's something about mama's prayers and mama's spirit and we never find Elkanah one time in here. Now, he went and offered sacrifice, and he praised, and he prayed. But we don't ever see him specifically praying anything about Samuel. But we do see Hannah. And Hannah said, God help my kids. God said, I'll hear the prayer of that mother. You guys have heard the story about my mom sitting at that table. We're all sitting there. Josh stuck that broccoli under there. We all got whooped for it. I'm still bitter at him. (laughs) Nobody's saying they did it. My mom starts to pray around that table. God, I don't want to raise a heathen. God, I want to raise a liar coming from a Christian home. Whichever one of my sons is a liar, I'm just asking that you kill him. Josh, it was me, Mom. (laughs) You know what a mama's prayer does? Yeah. What her whoopings couldn't do, her prayers did. Mothers, pray for your kids. Secondly, what we see in chapter 1, verse 23, And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth good, do what seemeth thee good. Now, if we look back at verse 22, or verse 21, the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. So what does Elkanah do every year? He and his house go up to the, offer, uh, up to the temple to offer sacrifice to the Lord. Here, here's what we're going to do. We're all heading up. We're bringing the animals. We're offering sacrifice to the Lord. And Hannah says what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. She said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him up that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Woman, not a chance. You're doing what I say. No, he said, Do what seemeth good, the good, 
Now listen to this. Tarry until thou have, him, until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. You know, what, you know what Elkanah was saying here? That's fine. Understand where you're coming from. You're not breaking that vow. And if you're thinking about keeping that child, you're wrong. Because you and I are both taking him down to the Lord here pretty soon. That's what Elkanah was saying. And you know what our homes need is fathers who are firm but fair. They need fathers who can hear out a situation. Mom, okay. Hannah, I understand if you're not coming this year. I understand there's a reasoning here. I understand what you're thinking. Not a problem. But we're still going to be principled. We're not breaking biblical principle. We're not breaking our promise. We're not breaking our vows. And dads, you know what's missing? We have a lot of dads who are firm, but not fair. We'll be firm. This is what we're doing because I'm the leader of the house, but they won't hear a situation out. As a dad, you know how many times? As a husband, you know how many times? I've said, I can't believe this happened, but I didn't know the whole story. And there have been times I've jumped on my kids for a situation. Later on, they say, Dad, you didn't really see the whole thing. Here's what really happened. And you know what I got to do? I'm sorry. I didn't see it all. And I shouldn't have jumped on you so quick. As, as fathers, we're commanded to be firm but fair. We're supposed to lead our families and we're supposed to remind them of principles and remind them of biblical. And look, when it all comes down to it, dads, you know who's still responsible for that home? You are. I am. God doesn't put the responsibility on my wife. He puts the responsibility on me. So when it boils down to it, I can blame everybody else I want. But you know who that responsibility falls on? As a father, it falls squarely on my shoulders. So I'm the one that's supposed to say, okay, here's what the biblical principles are. Here's what the principles of, of modesty in the home are. Here's what the principles of the word of God and, and the principles of, of faithfulness to church. And here's what the principles of reading the scriptures. Here's what all these principles are. You know whose who's command it is to carry those principles out? It's mine. And the minute she starts to say, Hey, babe, I think we ought to do this. I'm going to listen because I'm, I'm supposed to be fair here and, and hear her out. But if she starts to say, I don't think this is important anymore. You know how many husbands I've seen swayed by their wives to go a different direction? Well, she, what did Adam say? The woman thou gavest me. She's the one who, who told me to do this, and so I did it. God didn't say, well, okay, Adam, since she convinced you, it's all right. And God also didn't come down and say, Eve, what were you thinking and doing? You know what he said? Adam. And men, you have the responsibility within your home to keep those principles of the word of God in line and in check, and you're the one who better have a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit to say, listen, I'm going to listen to my wife, but there are moments and times I got to say, okay, enough. Right. Yeah. Amen. 
In this day and age, I'm called sexist, okay? Bear with me for a second, okay? I still believe that men ought to be in charge of the home. And I still believe women ought to be submitted to their husbands because that's biblical principle and it works, okay? Women are run by emotions. And I, to a degree, I'm very thankful for it, okay? Because as guys... Kyle and I are laughing the other day. See his kid? I still, I don't even know his kid's name. I just call him Kyle's kid. Okay? And there's, there's this certain thing, you know, the kid falls, hurts himself. You know what guys do? Laugh. Yeah. You know what they say? It's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. And then it's hilarious. <laughs> okay? Because as men, we are just not very compassionate by nature. My kid, Peyton comes back the other day. He and David are riding bikes. Peyton grabs the front brakes. Guess what happens when you're going down here? You grab the front brakes, right? Yes, you've been there before. The bike flips, right? Peyton comes in, knees all bloodied up, and I'm like, you'll be fine. I'm not even worried about it. Not mom. You know what mom does? Oh, hang on. Let's, let's fix that up. Let's clean it. Let's bandage it. Let's make sure that it's not going to get infected. I'm like, it doesn't look like it's going to get infected. It's fine. Okay, you know why? As a dad, I am not compassionate. I'm not very emotional in those situations. Okay, I mean, really. And if you expect me to be emotional or compassionate, you're looking at the wrong place. Okay, it's not a part of my DNA. So I'm very thankful for the emotional side of women. But that emotional side of women also is where Eve said, wow, that looks so good. And you know what Adam's job was to do? Hang on. Biblical principle says we don't touch that. Eve, stay away. But because Adam wasn't man enough to stand up to his woman and let her run things, Men, guess what your job is? You know why we have homes that are a mess and kids that are a mess? Because women run things. And men don't stand up and be the man in their home and say, listen, I'll hear you out and I'll listen to you and I'll hear your plea to stay behind this year and not go with us up to the temple because Samuel's young and that's fine. But when it comes down to it, we are taking that kid down and dropping him off with Eli. Because that's the vow we made. And we're not breaking that. And our homes need fathers and husbands who are principled and firm in their principles. Not harsh. Firm. These are unbreakable rules. These are unbreakable principles. This is something we found in the word of God. We're not doing that. I'm not going to be mean about it. But we're not doing that. There are certain things that we don't fight about in my home. You know, it may, you watch people talk to us and they ask my kids about whether it be movies or cell phones, you know. Oh, so, you know, do you, they'll ask David, what's your cell phone number? I don't have a phone. What kind of kook are you? You're 16, you ain't got a phone? You know, I've never had to sit and fight with David over that. 
It's never once, we've never had one discussion over that. You know why? He knows if he comes to dad and says, dad, I want a phone, you know what's going to happen? No. Dad, I really want a phone. No. But dad, you don't understand. No. And he's not getting any further than that because guess what? There are principles he knows we're not even going to try to push. It's been firmly set. It's been firmly planted. I don't have to have these arguments or these fights. I hear parents talk about, man, I just fight with my kids. You know why you fight? You know why there's an argument? Because there's no principles that they know are firmly set within your home that are unbreakable rules and principles. Our homes need fathers who will be firm and fair. Thirdly, we see that this child belonged to the Lord. Look at chapter 1, verse 28. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth, and he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Parents, let me ask you a question. Have you given your children to God? We have baby dedications. I wonder if you can even tell me why we have baby dedications. Well, I think we ought to give them to the Lord. Do we find it in Scripture? Why do we do it? But if if you brought your child up here and you said, I want to dedicate this baby to God, but you don't want want him to go to the mission field, guess what? You're breaking your vow. You say, well, I'm not sure that I want my kid to have to go through that. Fathers, step up and say, we made a commitment to God. Guess what? That child belongs to God. You know what we ought to do? We ought to remind our kids early and often, you belong to God. Before you were born, I made that commitment. After you were born, I made that commitment. And to this day, that commitment stands. You belong to God. You're not mine. You think Kim really wanted to see Christopher and Leah head to Ecuador and have that baby down there. But you know what? Pastor said, that's God's child, not mine. He's lent to the Lord as long as he liveth. And Kim, don't you dare try to hold him back. That's Eli's son. That's God's child. We're not touching him. We're not breaking that vow that we made to God. Have you given your children to God? Do they know they belong to God? Or are they more concerned with pleasing you than pleasing God? Are they more concerned with what mom and dad will think about this decision as opposed to what God thinks about this decision? Pastor has said this, and I believe it 100%. I still think kids are not going to the mission field the way they used to 20 years ago because most kids are scared about what their mom and dad will say. What would you think if your kid came home and said after the week of camp, God called me to Africa? Whoa, hang on. I've read Brother Keith's letters, and he's been sick a lot lately. You know how many times he's had malaria, dengue, and whatever else you get over there? He's been sick a lot. I don't want that to happen to my kid. 
Whoa, hang on just a second. That child belongs to God. We made that commitment a long time ago. This should have been settled before they were born, after they were born, every year since they were born. This isn't about what I want for my kid. This is about what I made a vow to God, and that child belongs to God. Therefore, whatever God wants from him. I hear kids tell me, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to Bible college or not because my dad or my mom. Whoa. Whoa. Is that your child or God's child? Your children belong to God. The minute you want to keep them, you're going to damn their souls. Remind them early and often. Those children belong to God. Fourthly, teach them to worship. Chapter 1, verse 28. Remember how old Samuel is here. Again, we don't know exactly, but he's young. The Bible says he's young. Verse 28, Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth, and he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Wow. As a young three, four, five-year-old, Samuel's already worshiping. Where did Samuel learn that? Mom and dad. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. But look at what it says at the beginning. This man went up out of the city early or yearly to worship. Yearly to worship. Look at verse 19. And they rose up early in the morning and worshiped. Before the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. What is she doing? She's just dropped her son off with Eli and she's worshiping God about it. You know where Samuel learned to worship? He saw mom and dad who worshiped. Teach your children to worship. When you walk into church, you know what you ought to do? Your kids ought to know we're here for a purpose. That purpose is to worship God. Now listen, you ought to worship God here, but this ought not to be the only place you worship. Do they hear you worship at home? Do they hear you worship at the car, in the car? Look, you don't have to be Miss Joanna to worship. Okay? There is no doubt in my mind that she sings 24-7. You say, Pastor Ben, have you ever heard me sing? I don't sing like that. I'm not saying that, but have they ever heard you worship God? We were in, in Colorado, and Josh and Marissa and their little girls were there. We were having a good time with those girls. My wife and Marissa took them up the gondola, and they said, we want to see a deer or a moose. So they were praying, God, help us to see a deer or a moose while we're on the gondola or while we're in town. We want to see one. So... They, they see a deer, they see a buck come out of the woods, and the girls are happy. They come back into town, they're talking to us about it. And in a window right there, there's a moose head, a mounted moose head with the, with the big rack. And so they stop and show the girls, oh, look, there's a moose, look. And Bella comes around the corner, and you know what she does? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Where does a two-year-old learn that? 
Where does it take? That doesn't come natural. She's taught that somewhere. Hang on, we prayed for something. God did it for us. Now we're going to what? Do a little bit of worshiping. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. A two-year-old taught me a lesson. And we don't tell God thank you enough. We don't worship enough. We've got to teach our children to worship from a young age. We know this, that it wasn't until chapter 3 that Samuel actually even begins to know the Lord. The Bible says, and at this time Samuel did not yet know the Lord. I mean, he's a young man. Very, very young. I'm sorry, not even a man. He's a boy. And he's worshiping. Parents, teach your kids to worship. They ought to see you worship. Does worship and praise surround and envelop your home? When was the last time you said, thank you, God, in front of your children? When was the last time they heard you bless the Lord and worship Him? Fifthly, we see that Hannah and Elkanah both trusted the man of God. And this made no human sense to drop this kid off. This, as a father, I cannot imagine this. But you know what they said? We're going to trust the man of God. And there are times when trusting the man of God is not going to make sense. Sure. Especially when he's raised reprobates and he's trying to tell me that he can raise my kid. There may be times when trusting your pastor, your man of God doesn't make sense. But let me tell you something. Trusting the man of God is still biblical. And you can even look at him and say, well, you know, he's preaching that. He doesn't always live that. Whether or not he lives it, if it's Bible, Bible principle, you better trust the man of God. You better ask him his opinion. You better seek his advice. You better say, hang on. You know better than I do, and God gives you insight. What does God go on to call Samuel later on? The seer. Your man of God is a seer who sees things you and I don't see. Trust him when things don't make sense. Trust him when you feel like you know better. Trust him wherever and whenever your children are involved. You know, as parents, where we're especially blind? With our kids. Trust the man of God. Sixth, and I only have this and one more, all right? So we'll make it quick. Teach your children to minister. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Look at verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. The word minister means to be a chief servant. Have you ever thought about that? Those two words almost seem to contradict one another. Chief means what? You're in charge. You're the top dog. A servant means what? You're the bottom. How can you be a chief servant? It means you're the best servant you can possibly be. Teach your children to minister. You know what kept Samuel from falling into the trap of following Hophni and Phinehas? Look, at, look back at chapter 2 real quick. Because here we see, here's Hophni and Phinehas in verses uh, um, 
verse, let's see, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. So verse 13 and 14 and 15, it's talking about what they did and how they uh, broke the, the, the law there. And then verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great for the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering on the Lord, but Samuel ministered. You know what kept him from following those young men? He was too busy being a servant. You want to teach your kids to avoid a lot of trouble in life? If you get them busy serving people, they don't have time to get into trouble. They don't have time to follow a bunch of bad advice. They don't have time to look around and see what everybody else is doing and I don't get to do what they do and feel sorry for themselves. Instead, they're serving. Teach your kids to serve. How do you teach them to serve? By being a servant. Let me ask you a question. In your house, if you, have, if you have young people who are between the age of 9 or 10 and until they're out of the house, all right? Do you as a parent want to have to tell them to take out the trash? What are you trying to get them to the point of? See it and do it. If you noticed it, son, do it. I shouldn't have to tell you to help out. Um, Charity, I shouldn't have to tell you to help your mother do the dishes. Right? At some point, she's old enough, I don't want to have to say, you need to help mom. You know what I want? Her to notice it and do it. Correct? In your home, isn't that what you hope and expect from your children? Now let me ask you this. How often do you walk into the church of God and notice and do it? Maybe sometimes our kids just follow our examples. I said, well, and dad doesn't fix anything. I saw him walk over a piece of trash right there by the truck. If he doesn't serve around the house, if he doesn't notice and do it, why should I? Teach your kids to serve by being a servant. Notice needs. There are people in the church with needs. Serve people. Serve those under you. Serve those over you. Guess what? I'm commanded to serve these young men who I work with. I'm also commanded to serve my pastor who I work under. I'm commanded to serve the parents of the kids who I teach. I'm commanded to serve everybody that I'm surrounded with because the Bible says love your enemies. (laughs) Trying to wake you up, all right? You ought to be a chief servant. Minister to the elderly, to the widows, to the bus kids, those who need it most. Those in your pew, your peers, your friends, those who don't need it, those who you dislike, those who you like. You know why God used Joshua over and over and over and over again? You know what we find in Joshua's life? He was Moses' minister. What kept Samuel out of trouble was the fact that he was a minister. Teach your children to minister. And lastly, we see this, chapter 2, verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. 
Can I say something? We know that you ought to teach your kid to be in favor with the Lord. I hope you're already teaching your kid to walk with the Lord, to read their Bible, to have their own personal devotions, their own time of prayer. And I hope that your kids know that. As a youth pastor, you know what I try to push more than anything else with these kids is you need a personal walk with God. I buy them devotion books. I tell them, look, you don't have to follow my plan. Follow your own plan. And I tell them, write it down because I want to see it. You know what it does? It helps keep them accountable. I'm trying to be one more piece in here to help keep your kids accountable so that they grow in favor with God. Okay? You know what else we see? Samuel was growing in favor with men. You know why he wasn't so influenced by Hophni and Phinehas? His mom and dad sat him down every year when they came in and said, Son, you see that old man of God? That's who you need to be interested in pleasing. That's who you're growing in favor with. That's who you need to be interested in making happy. Not the boys. As fathers... And as mothers, you know what we we'll be teaching our children? These young men need to grow in favor with men. Yeah, that's good. Not just God. They need to grow in favor with men. As a man in the church, we ought to be able to look at your son and say, that's a sharp young man. He comes and talks to me. He's respectful. He's decent. If they don't grow in favor with men, they don't have any hope of being any sort of leader down the road. You look at Jesus. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and... Look, if Jesus had to do it, we've got to teach our kids to do it. What kind of favor do the men in this church think about your son? We've got to teach them. Listen, Benaiah, let me help you out. What that kid thinks don't matter. And what that kid thinks don't matter. What that guy thinks matters. Okay? What those guys over there think, that matters. I don't care if he was happy or not. Was he happy? You know what teaches your kids to, to, to grow in favor with men? Being workers, being servants. Look. I've taken a lot of boys working with me over the years. Nothing irritates a man more than dealing with a kid who don't know how to work. You want them to grow in favor with men? Teach them to work. Teach them to be diligent. Do something with their hands. Okay? Not this with their hands either. I can do something with my hands. All right? I play, I play uh, 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 thumb, what do they call that? Thumb gyro, thumb, thumb, can't think of the word. Teach your kids to work. Ladies, teach your girls to grow in favor with other women. Stop worrying about what the girls think, about what the teenagers think, and what the fads are, and say, look, what does Miss Gamis think about you? Instead of getting frustrated about what your teacher thinks about your kid, you ought to say, you know what? I want my teacher to be completely pleased with my kid. 
I've heard people say, well, that's the teacher's pet. How do you think they got there? Because they grew in favor with the teacher. If you would teach your kid to be more concerned about what an adult thinks than about what a kid thinks, they could be the teacher's pet too. Teach your kids to grow in favor with adults. And here's what happened with Samuel. In chapter 3, he stands before Eli and says, Thou called me. He's still a young man. Eli says, I didn't call you. Next time you go back to bed, what? Listen, say, speak, Lord, for thy certain. Listen, you ought to say, God, here I am. Look at chapter 4, verse 1, and we're done. Samuel's still a young man. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. He grew up quick. Here Samuel is now leading the people of Israel as their priest. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to raise up priests. We're trying to raise up preachers. We're trying to raise up young men who their word will go out to all Israel, all Austin, all Africa. And the only way we're going to do that is to say, God, I need your help in these areas. Here's some principles I learned from Hannah. Here's some principles I learned from Elkanah and how they raise their son and what they do with their son. I want to apply these things so I can help my kids grow up and mature into a young man, into a young lady who grew in favor with God, with the Lord, and the Lord was able to use them. 